Hi, I'm Sandhya. And I'm Allison. And this is The Universal Grain. A podcast where we, two Generation Z Asian American teenagers, strive to share our perspectives by exploring issues that not only affect us, but our audience as well. This week, we are going to be talking about the acquiescent nature of women in various cultures, specifically across Asia. And we're going to be talking about the origins of it and how it's affected our life. So, specifically in India, the gender wage gap is about 50%, and it's 27% in white-collar jobs. Um, and hate crimes against women has been on the rise, such as rape, dowry deaths, and honor killings. Honor killings are basically like if a woman, say, say was raped or had an affair, they would kill the daughter because they bring dishonor on the whole family. But the subjugation of women is a long tradition in um, Indian culture. And when thinking about it, it really makes you wonder, like, where did this originate? Where is it specifically documented that women are supposed to be inferior to men? I couldn't find those origins, but I did find practices that have dated back a long time that stress women being subjugated to males just for the honor of the family in general. So there's a practice called sati. It's when women widows, uh, they throw themselves on a pyre. The practice was, I know it sounds very gory, and it was um, highly encouraged, but it wasn't compulsory. And holy texts were said that it could raise women to be in heaven and in spirit with the husband. And even spectators of the ritual gained some holy quality. This practice was very popular um, until it was outlawed in the 1800s. So the second two problems that I found um, in Indian culture that have historically subjugated women to men are not really unique to just India, but they are very prominent in India. So I think everyone's familiar with dowry payments, but basically dowry payments have made um, preferences naturally gravitate towards sons. And so you see this really unequal distribution of sons and daughters. Dowry payments basically um, are a significant part of the household income that was paid to the um, suitor and their family. And because it was such a substantial part of the household income, it kind of creates this resentment. And so dowry killings were very frequent in um, the culture because, you know, money is precious. And especially for poorer families, it can create a lot of resentment when, you know, a daughter comes with this extra financial burden. Um, the other one is child marriage. So child marriage was actually seen as the gift um, children that were married were seen as a gift of a goddess and it was given to the wedded family which was placing merit to the father of the child and it was said that they were under the subjugation of their father uh, like before being married the husband while married and the sons while um while the husband was dead so they never really could have any authority themselves they always had to be governed by someone else and i think that really also um propagated the idea of women just being, you know, in the house, women always needing something, someone to control them, someone to tell them what what to do, because they really um, were viewed as having no brain of their own. Um, and child marriage is actually really 
pervasive in India, especially in poor families, because of the possibility of reducing economic burdens, because, again, women were seen as um, people who, you know, didn't go out into the economy and make money, um, and they were just an extra mouth to feed for these families. And according to UNICEF, India actually has the highest number of child brides in the world at 15,509,000. Um, and so it's, re it's really prominent in Indian society. Again, these problems are not just limited to India. Um, and thankfully, India has, there are some people in India who have been recognizing that problem, and they've been you know, working to fix it and working to correct this ideology, which I think is important in all societies around the world. Just like how Sandhya had described, I feel like Chinese culture embodies a lot of the same values and a lot of the same, not exactly the same, but a lot of the same practices that Indian culture has um, developed. Um, one of the similar ways is Chinese women were seen as subservient and they needed to marry up, um, that kind of idea. And so in the dynastical period, so during the time, a lot of emperors had multiple concubines. And um, this led to a lot of, I guess, like fighting and jealousy between the women. So then women gained this reputation of like scheming to try to advance up their own sons. And then when their, when their husbands had um, children with other wives, it was always this like fight to like make your son be king because then like the woman would rise to power too. And so... Um, you see this a lot in Chinese dramas, and believe me, I love Chinese dramas, but it kind of shows the toxicity that um, the period carried. And um, another thing, like during the dynastical periods, um, I guess it's kind of a stereotypical thing, but it's like, oh, Chinese culture is like yin and yang. But it became common for writers to discuss gender in terms of yin and yang, which is really interesting. I'd never heard of this before. So women were yin and men were, yin, men were yang. So yin was soft, yielding, receptive, passive, reflective, tranquil, you know, all terms that describe a very calm person. And yang was hard, active, assertive, and dominating. Um, and I think this really connects to gender stereotypes and how women are supposed to lead more private lives and supposed to stay at home and care for children while men are supposed to go out. And you see this a lot in societies across the world. I think it's important to recognize that from the beginning, society has kind of chosen to ignore women and what they want and rather take on let men choose what a woman should want and so um in chinese culture i know growing up i heard a lot of tales of girls like they wanted to like go get an education because you had to travel and you kind of had to like not exactly study abroad but you had to you know like travel and like live at the school and so um, there would be these stories of girls and they like dress up as dudes after their parents are like, no, you can't go get an education because boys get education. Girls need to stay at home and have babies and stuff. And so these were very like inspirational stories to me then because although I do not live in dynastical China, there's always still that lingering reputation of, oh, I should be like, if my studies don't go well, I should marry a rich man, and I should have, like, kids for him, and I should, like, know how to, like, sweep a floor. 
another interesting thing, and there is a Han Dynasty book called Missions for Women. Um, I'm not exactly what the name is in Chinese, but it urged girls to master the seven virtues appropriate um, to women. Uh, humility, resignation, subservience, self-abasement, obedience, cleanliness, and industry. And so these are all very private things that one does at home. And um, during this time, there was also a law enacted where husbands could get a divorce from their wives for anything, for talkativeness, for being too bossy for anything, but women could not get a divorce, even if it was a mutual agreement of the man and the woman. It really testifies to how far the culture has suppressed women and how they, and how the culture doesn't allow them to make their own decisions. And although I'm kind of condemning ancient Chinese culture, it should be noted a lot of women were happy with what they had. It's just in comparison to now, these are rights a lot of these things are absurd to us and these basic rights of wanting to get a divorce, of making our own decisions, of an education are something that we feel is necessary. And from a more modern perspective, in mathematical terms, husband hunting in China is almost like a buyer's market. And this is almost, this is due to China's one child policy. So this was a this was a policy that took place from 1980 to 2016 that only allowed for a family to have one child because of the overpopulation. And so this led to a lot of women having, so women who want to have more than one child, they were forced to have an abortion to get rid of the second child because, or, you know, or the government would take away your job and all your financial and economic earnings. But this caused a lot of bias towards wanting to have male children and male sons because those could pass down your family name. And so this has led to, um, like Sonia had mentioned earlier in Indian society, a disproportionate amount of men and women. Another person um, is a 28-year-old lady. Um, she wanted to get married, but she struggles to find a man who meets her mother's standards. And an assistant college professor who was 36 married a younger man from a less wealthy family and had a child soon afterward. Um, but the most memorable thing is her constant battle to live the way she pleased. Um, when she went back to her parents' village, they told her that her neighbors mocked her because she didn't have a child, our first um, lady. And um, her sister tells her that she cannot be happy without being married. And so it demonstrates the expectation that you need to have someone else. And without someone else, you're not happy. You can never be happy on your own because you're a woman, you know? And you can never be financially independent. And that's really troubling to me as a Chinese girl growing up and my parents are more traditional and I wanna be happy, I wanna live independently. And to me, marriage isn't something that's on top of my list. But hearing this, I definitely know marriage and having children are something that are expected of me. Yeah, I think that's really interesting that you brought up the two matchmakers. Um, there's a show that I don't know if anyone's watched it, um, but on Netflix, it's called Indian Matchmaking. And basically, like, there's there's a lot of differences in values between the American people who are on that show and the Indian people who are on that show. But what really struck me was this dude. His name is Pradyuman. And basically, like, what he was looking for was an attractive woman who was like homely in a sense and he was she and he said all these things like oh she needs to be adventurous and all this stuff but then the the person that he ended up really clicking with he like rejected a hundred people before 
before then. Like, this was a picky dude. And um, he rejected, like, 100 people. And then she shows her – he shows him a picture. And she, he, she goes, like, she's very slim, trim, and tall, and she's a model. And he was like, oh, yeah, she's very homely. And basically talking about her as if she was an object. The, the attractiveness of her was one of the main things that you could almost tell was one of the reasons that he settled to meet with her. And then back in America, there was this girl named Aparna. And Aparna, okay, she's a whole different bag. Like, I really, I really did not like her because she was so picky. And, like, if someone didn't know that Bolivia had salt flats, she would reject them. And who in the world knows that Bolivia has salt flats? I don't know. But she was the ambitious woman. And, she, like, she was a lawyer. She was doing all this stuff. And she had friends. She had all this, like, thing. She was comfortable. She was, you know, she had a great relationship with her mom, her dog, all this stuff. But she was always the one to be seen, like, constantly being shot down or sh shooting others down. Like, it was almost as if the ambitious woman couldn't really get a perfect match. And I, I don't know if that was uh, just a product of the show naturally or that was intended, but there was just a lot of this idea of a man needing to be married and a woman needing to be married at a certain age. And they, like, that's it. Like, there's some... I know, the, I know, like, there's a biological clock for women, but there really shouldn't be this much pressure on someone to just marry. It's really stressed for women, and the, it has some adverse effects. I mean, like, why women in India weren't educated was because they knew that marriage was their ultimate goal, and when they married, they lost their sense of familial identity. Therefore, it was important for a son to, you know, carry on the family name and to, like, actually make bank. So they, they took precedent when they were getting educated. Adding on to that, um, on to the childbirth thing, I found this interesting t statistic online saying um, the age of the, the peak of childbirth is also often the peak of a woman's career. And so it's so interesting to me that these two things line up and women traditionally have oftentimes had to choose one or the other because the domestic role can get so big for a lot of traditional a lot in a lot of traditional values and cultures and I don't know I just find that crazy that someone has to choose one over the other yeah I know it's I will like right now in modern society I think that we are slowly counteracting that belief and so we're slowly seeing like this idea of empowerment being sourced from like being a mom and being like a working woman at the same time. And I think that there's a lot of credit to that, especially with, you know, there's like this permanency of the gender roles um, across all boards where like women need to cook and clean around the house. Like that's kind of just implied that like you're, if you're married, you're going to end up doing more of that in married life. So I think like balancing that and balancing a career at the same time, that is such a power move. And I think that a perfect example of that is the new New Zealand prime minister. She literally brought her three-month-old um, daughter. Her name is Jacinda Ardern, I think. And um, she just like sat her on the lap, on her lap and like had someone else hold her when she spoke. And I just think it's like, it's such a statement. Like I am not going to compromise I'm you know they're they work together and women shouldn't be discounted similar just because you know they get pregnant 
And she's such an inspiration, I think, to people all across the world that women can be in more than just the public or the private sphere. Next, I just kind of wanted to talk about my experiences with being a girl in America, having a Chinese background, how we deal with this kind of misogynistic behavior that can often show up due to, I guess, centuries of oppression in that way. But when I was younger, it was like, oh, pink's a girly color. Pink is a color for girls. And I went through this phase of like not liking pink and liking blue, even, even in reality when I did like pink. But it was, the, the, I realized the reason why I didn't like pink is because pink meant femininity. And I was just embarrassed and ashamed of that kind of femininity because I, because I wasn't a docile deer like prancing in a field. I felt like I was more than that. And I felt like if I liked pink, then I became, you know, Bambi. <laughs> and looking back, I shouldn't have made such an overgeneralization, but I think it really speaks to how girls feel the need to suppress things they like because they want to be seen differently by their female and male counterparts. Um, more than that, um, I do speech and debate. I'm Sonia does speech and debate as well. And when I first started, uh, I had to go like suit shopping and buy suits because it's more of a formal event. And so my coaches are all like, oh yeah, like go find like a skirt suit or something. Like send us like pictures and like we'll, we'll like see like what looks good on you, right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If finding like a suit that makes you feel good and you, you know, you feel confident in it. And in the beginning, I was so insistent on wearing pants suits. And looking back on it, it was because pants... Traditionally, pants are associated with men and skirts are associated with women. I'm not saying that they can't go either way um, at this point in society. I think, you know, do what makes you happy. <laughs> but it was just that idea that I wanted to be taken seriously because men are always taken seriously. Men's ideas are always, you know, they're always on top. Everyone always listens. So I wanted to wear a pantsuit and almost give off like masculine vibes. And a part of me still feels that. A part of me is a little bit scared that um, I'm always too feminine. And maybe if I was a dude, I would have been farther in my life because I'm a dude. And I think that everyone's had this kind of moment where like you commit to being counterculture and just like you refuse the femininity and debate looking back on it debate was a big source of just like the stark contrast in how men and women are treated especially in debate when you're debating policy and you're debating like all these things that traditionally men have only had a voice in so like Ali I I had like my counterculture thing I, this is such a bad mistake, like I was, it, it's such a clown moment for me, but I wore Converse to my debates, and like I would even wear them with dresses sometimes, but I wore Converse pants and a thing, and everyone there that was wearing heels and a skirt, and I just refused it, because every one of the guys, they would wear trousers and bands or converse so like that was my that was my thing that saying like I'm just as equal as the men I can get a good score while wearing the same thing as them I don't have to dress up and there were judges in my league that would 
stress dress heavily. I remember that there were people who were coming back and were saying like, oh, they said that we're not in proper uniform or all this stuff. So this was kind of like my, my token of rebellion. And it was also because I believe that the Converse were lucky, which they probably weren't. But um, yeah, there's just a lot of those aspects that I think that society has like placed so much importance on those aspects of femininity, like pink, like dresses. And I think that a lot of people have rejected, you know, those, that, that fork in the road saying like, you go this way and you go this way. Um, especially with people who are non-binary or people who are, you know, fluid and all this kind of stuff. We, I think that not only do we need to make it more comfortable for everyone to express themselves the way they want to, just because there should be an equality of women and men, but also just to make gender fluid, non-binary, like however you identify and which parts of femininity and which parts of masculinity you identify, there shouldn't be a taboo in mixing both. So finally, we would be remiss to claim what we that we are talking about feminist issues without bringing up the struggle of transgender women um, and what they face around the world. So I know for India, transgender women are extremely looked down upon and violence against their community is very common. I don't think that's just something that's exclusionary to India, it's across the world. Uh, There's an epidemic of violence against the trans community and it disproportionately affects trans women of color. Just alone in 2019 in the US, at least 25 transgender or gender non-conforming people were shot and killed. Um, And they are victims of extreme hate crimes, especially women, transgender women of color. Um, And there was a survey that went out to the trans community about their experiences in society. And nearly 46% were verbally harassed. 9% were physically attacked because of being transgender. Nearly half were sexually assaulted and 10% were, was sexually assaulted in the last year. Um, and in communities of color, these numbers are disproportionately higher and black respondents were seen to be the victim of even more violence. Bottom line is transgender women are women and the feminist movement should not be exclusionary um, to anyone because equality cannot be achieved until everyone has equality. Um, and you cannot truly be a feminist if you exclude transgender women in your definition. And the ultimately, the feminist movement, I would just like to reiterate, is not just for women. Men need to be included in the fight because they need to be helping us break those glass ceilings and be helping us into the rooms that they are just invited, they are automatically invited in because of their sex. Um, so we all really need to band together and we need to realize that we're no different than each other and And that leads us to our rice of the episode. Um, For this week, our rice of the episode is, um, excuse me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, but paella. Um, It's from a Valencian region in Spain, and it means frying pan in Valencian. Um, Paella is said to be a perfect union between the two cultures of Spain, the Romans um, for the pan and the Arabs that brought the rice. There is an old story of how Moorish king servants served the rice dish by mixing leftovers from royal banquets in large pots to take home. Um, It's generally made with um, rice, chicken, chorizo, garlic, onion, beans, and there's like different versions of it. I I know that there's like a seafood version. And there are some um, pretty cool 
theories about the origin and the origins of the name. So the most romantic of them suggests that the dish was first prepared by a lover for his fiance, and that the word is a corruption of for her in Spanish. Um, I believe it's paella. Um, and we thought this rice dish was really cool because it was kind of that like reversal of gender roles that we had talked about so much during the body of this um, episode. Um, it was that, you know, as an affectionate gift, a man took on a more domestic role and made a wonderful dish for the woman he loved. And um, like all myths, there is always a grain of truth. And although many women still do traditionally do the cooking in Spain, making paella is usually left to the men. And so, yeah, and we think this embodies pretty well the idea of being fluid with um, domestic and public roles and doing what makes you happy. So thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed and we will see you next episode.